You are tuned into the Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. Welcome to the Dr. Tina Show. On this very special episode, I'm sitting down with my friend and naturopathic colleague, Dr. Greg Nye. Dr. Nye recently co-authored a paper with Dr. Stephanie Senoff titled Innate Immune Suppression by SARS-CoV-2 mRNA Vaccinations, the Role of G-Quadruplexes, Exosomes, and MicroRNAs. This episode was so technical and dense that we've decided to break it into two parts. You're listening to part one right now, and as a gift to you, I'm releasing both episodes at the same time. I want you to finish this episode and then head over and listen to part two when you have the time and the bandwidth. I really want to encourage you all to share this out with absolutely everyone. You might feel unsettled by some of the information that you're hearing in here, and it is concerning, but it's so important that everybody hear this. I got Dr. Nyon as soon as this paper publication came out so that we could get this information out to you immediately. So listen to it, make sure you understand it, and then please share it out. It's absolutely critical. I'll make sure to have a link to the study in the show notes so you can share that as well, as well as any other link that we reference in this. I'm glad you're here. Let's jump in. Dr. Greg Nye, thank you and welcome to the Dr. Tina Show. I'm so happy to have you here. We are colleagues. So excited to be here, yeah. Yeah, we are naturopathic doctors in Portland and I have known about you forever and I am just honored that you finally came on the show today. Um, I'm going to have you introduce yourself in a second, but I want to let the audience know what we're in for. You just put out a paper that was published gosh, this week. And it's pretty mind blowing. And I've been sitting with it and trying to work my way through it. And so thank you so much for coming on so we can break this yeah, down. Of course. Let the audience know who you are, what you're about. You have a long history in our medicine. You're you're I consider you one of our elders. I, I don't want to oh, date. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to date you, but you were very well regarded when I was a student. So I'm, I'm glad. to have Well, you thank you so much. So I am Yeah, I'm in practice. I'm naturopath, acupuncturist. I'm uh, co-owner of a clinic uh, in Portland, Immersion Health. I, my primary specialty, my primary focus clinically is naturopathic oncology. I mean, I you know, I treat lots of other, you know, mold and Lyme and autoimmune and lots of other things, but, you know, probably 70% of patients are cancer patients. Um, and yeah, you know, been doing it 20 years now and... Uh, yeah, I mean that's probably enough. Isn't you're you're you see you are one of our our elders. <laughs> they, can, they people are thinking I'm an old timer, and I'm like I haven't been at it as long as some of you guys. You guys are all aging well though, so we know something that the rest of the world does not. So you, you know I have to give you kudos. I immediately got off Facebook when this pandemic started. I had already been trying to eke my way off of there just because I think it's a demon den, and I had a weird premonition. I'm pretty. Um, uh, I don't want to say clairvoyant, but I just I get premonitions. I knew immediately when this started that Facebook was going to be driving yeah. a sinister part of it. And so I got off. And our profession, many in our profession, I should say, and my audience knows this, turned on me fast. And really, the the witch's coven over there of, of uh, hecklers was on Facebook. And and then I heard through the grapevine that they, people were like, you got to check out Greg Nye. He is holding down the fort. He is he is speaking the truth like you are. I was over on Instagram, like growing that and trying to huh. deal with yeah. that. And so I came in and started reading your posts and some of the contributions you made on some of the um, naturopathic groups. And I was just blown away at your insight about everything. And I was like, all right, 
this is what I mean, this is what I have been thinking too. This was early, early on. And I was like, this is what I have been thinking too. I'm glad to know that other smart people are thinking this. I'm not a complete lunatic. What the heck is going on? And I just want to give you a little kudos for hanging out and holding down the fort over there because it is a hostile environment. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, and I, thank you. And I, of course, I eventually had to bail. I couldn't. It was, I mean, I was there. Yeah, it became apparent really early on, like in, I think I started writing about it in February of 20. Like before, I mean, it was clear this is going in a really bad direction. And I remember posting to Facebook saying, if they ever use PCR as the diagnostic test, we're in a really bad way. And it was within a month that they were using PCR diagnostically. So yeah, it was, I was there for a while and, you know, trying to articulate a contrary point of view with all kinds of, you know, as much science as I could, but eventually Facebook just became a little too evil for my blood. Yeah. It's a demon den. Yeah. And then you, so I'm, oh, and by ahead. the way, I'll just say I have a, now I have a page set up. I'm on MeWe, which is like the Facebook competitor. And so if people are interested in following, I post there a ridiculous amount. So yeah, I'm kind of doing the same thing, but now over there. Awesome. And you're free to speak over there. I'll make sure that we get the link for that uh, and put it in the show notes for people so they can follow you there. I, so then I saw this paper, I mean, you know, years passed and I saw this paper, I got off all the naturopathic stuff. I just, I walked away from all of it and was like, good, good luck. Um, And then I saw that this paper came out, the innate immune suppression of SARS-CoV-2 mRNA vaccinations, the role of G quadruplexes, exosomes and microRNAs reached out to you. It turns out you published, like you just said off when we were off camera in May of 2021, you said you published a paper. What was that about? Yeah, that was, um, so Stephanie and I, Stephanie Seneff and I, um, and we have published some papers previously and we were actually working on a different project and it started looking like, oh, these RNA, these vaccinations are actually going to happen. Like this was back in, in, you know, kind of the summer of 2020. And so we decided, okay, we'll drop our other project and let's, we got to write about this. And so we started, you know, doing our thing and just researching and, and um, yeah, it just became scarier and scarier what we were moving toward with these mRNAs. And so that paper uh, was titled, the main title is Worse Than the Disease and question mark. And then the subtitle was um, exploring some possible unintended consequences of mRNA vaccinations. And so it really lays out the things like antibody, um, the ADE, antibody dependent enhancement Mm -hmm. um, and autoimmunity through molecular mimicry. And um, gosh, that we, you know, we point out that the spike protein is a prion protein uh, and that's scary. Um, and talked about, you know, activation of latent viruses. We talked then about the um, thrombocytopenia and the potential for that to play out in a bad way with the vaccinations. So we laid out a lot of possible things that we could see happening based on what we understood the the mRNA itself to be doing. And then lo and behold, like, holy crap, look at how many of these things are now being reported in, in the literature. And so, so yeah, so we published that in uh, the International Journal of Vaccine Theory, Practice and Research. 
so that so it ended up getting published in May and and uh, and so following that in that you know she and I just tend to be constantly sending new things that we find back and forth like oh crap look at this look at this researcher you got to read this paper or whatever and so that just kept happening and and it was I mean I felt so the way this newer paper happened is that she and I had been like for a couple of months just passing ideas about different things back and forth, but it didn't, wasn't like any particular thing. So, so one day I just sent her an email saying, so if you were going to just propose writing a paper right now, what topic would you write it on? Like, what could we like just, and she wrote back and said, well, great timing because I'm just talking to these other guys about getting a paper written and I'm sure they'd be psyched to have you on it. And so I felt kind of like a, like, oh crap, I just crashed a party. Um, but it ended up, they were both fine with it. And, and it ended up being really a f amazing project to work on because I mean, my learning curve on it was really, really steep um, to get up to speed on all this stuff. But I was fascinated by what we uncovered, mortified, terrified by, by what we uncovered, but fascinated by all this stuff. And, you know, j just to, from a from a very naturopathic standpoint, the the just astounding astounding complexity of the organizational systems that are that are operating within cells, it is it is just beyond belief how how complex these things are. That of course we are just crashing into them in these insane ways with these therapies but to really get that i had never really gotten deep enough to see that level of complexity that's happening to keep ourselves regulated in the way that they do in the way that just we don't have to think about it, it just happens like it is it is kind of the um it's seeing that that intelligence within the cell very closely when you look at it at that level. So anyway, so I came on board and ended up, you know, I ended up doing a lot of just research and writing about the uh, interferon alpha and several other things that are just getting smashed by, by the, by the vaccine. So. Yeah, it's not an easy topic to speak on. I, I have had my concerns all along and there's a lot of in my head, you know, thoughts like, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or what about if this goes wrong? And talking to other colleagues, I have to say at the end of the day, even if they're not coming out and saying it publicly, the smartest people I know, the, the people I trust the most, the people who have, I mean, I've, I've met some incredible people in this you know, career of medicine, and we're all in agreement. We just, it, you know, not everyone's coming out and talking about it publicly, like I said, because yeah. they can't for whatever reason, or, you know, concerns about losing their jobs or losing their license, or right. which are all very real concerns. Um, there's just been like a lot of, oh, shit, what if this happens? What, what about this? What about this potential? And 
it's playing out. And then your paper comes out and I'm sitting there yesterday with a highlighter and a pen going through it in detail. Just in all honesty, I just started crying because part of me was, it was um, tears of relief that I wasn't crazy. You know, a lot of just like, I've been so concerned about a lot of this. I've been keeping up with the literature too. And getting, you know, Dr. Daniel Chong, we should mention our Mm -hmm. colleague, Dr. Daniel Chong, Uh you know, he uncovers a lot of great information and shares it. And it's just, I don't know, after reading this, it's just like, oh, fuck, this is this could be potentially very bad. (laughs) I'll just I'll leave it at that. So we should talk about some of these very bad things. Um, Can you first explain to the audience in, you know, layman's term, what is interferon? Why is it important? And why is it critical for protecting us moving forward against viruses and cancer? Yeah, so, um, so it was actually, it was interesting to learn a little about the history. Interferon got its name because what a researcher back in, I remember, like 1968 or something, but he found that if you challenge cells with an attenuated virus, an influenza virus is what he was using, you challenge them with an attenuated virus so it doesn't establish an infection. And then later, you challenge those cells with actual virus. The cells were making something that was interfering with that viral infection. And thus it became interferon. And and since then, it's been, I mean, they found there are three different types of interferon and within that there are all different subtypes and all kinds of things. But as with so many things in the body, things happen in cascades. So there's like a top, there's a first domino. And once you knock that domino down, it tends to, there are these signaling pathways. And it's like this crazy Rube Goldberg machine, the way that things are are this does that and that does that and that does that and it's really amazing but the point is that interferon alpha is at the top of some really critical pathways it's the first domino and if you don't knock that domino down the rest of the pathways don't they don't fall down either so one important pathway that it is at the top of has to do with our antiviral immunity And interferon alpha is critical for our cells to turn on the things that need turned on in order to resist viral infections. And the reason that I'm talking about interferon alpha is because what we show in the paper is that unlike natural infection, which stimulates interferon alpha, these injections suppress interferon alpha. And the more we inject, the more we suppress. And so so essentially what we have tried to do is look at what is going to be the consequence of suppressing interferon alpha if we follow those pathways out. So one has to do with preventing both bacterial and viral infections because it shuts down the mechanisms or it doesn't if interferon alpha is not there, you don't light up the mechanisms that are needed for cells to defend. And then in a kind of an even more dramatic way, so the, um, the cells have these astounding complex and very numerous 
networks of cancer surveillance. Lots of different systems are in place to make sure that cells do not flip over into a malignant type. And guess what's the first domino in those chains? And so without interferon alpha to initiate this cascade of events, it, it ends up that you, you, de, you um, disable things like, we all know BRCA1 and 2, the associated with cancer or with breast cancer, but also other cancers. Um, it uh, disables P53, which is the master cancer regulatory gene, like the whole conventional world is trying to figure out how to get P53 activated and all kinds of... And so by through the cascade of events, P53 becomes less active, as do the BRCA genes. The trail pathway, which is you know this long... Um, tumor necrosis factor, yada, yada. And that pathway has its own cancer surveillance. And it's been shown that when you suppress that pathway, you end up with, with more metastatic melanoma and uh, prostate and other kinds of cancer associated with suppression of trail. Well, that's exactly what happens when you suppress interferon alpha. So um, it's kind of this like, holy crap, what have we done? Like with, yeah. with shutting down so many of the pathways that we need to have active to be monitoring. Yeah. And yeah. So that's, um, that's just kind of a summary of how, of what we're trying to get at within this paper is following out those pathway, <clears throat> those pathways. There's a whole family of which I had no idea until I started researching this thing. Um, so interferon lights up. There's this family of proteins called uh, interferon uh, IRF, interferon regulatory factor. And there's they're numbered one through nine in humans. Um, humans have a ninth one, other animals don't. But... Um, but it's IRF9 and IRF7 are the two that are, you got to have those functioning in order to get these machines going. And those only function if you have docked interferon alpha. Interferon alpha knocks those two dominoes down. Those dominoes then go on to activate gene transcripts and all kinds of things. And so... So we're essentially shutting down the interferon communication system within the cell. And that is critical for not only cell-mediated immunity, but also cancer surveillance and all the things that follow from that. So that's just one aspect that we cover in this paper. I mean, it's big. I mean, we cover it in a major way. But then on top of that, believe it or not, there are even other really dire ways that these injections are interfering with cancer surveillance. This episode of the Dr. Tina Show is brought to you by my personal line of products that you can find inside my online store. 
a daily necessity for anyone who wants optimal brain performance to enjoy improved executive function, clarity, and concentration. My vital brain with magtine is the obvious choice. Magtine is a patented form of magnesium three and eight, the only form of magnesium proven in animal studies to cross the blood brain barrier. Boosting the brain's magnesium levels is vital to healthy cognition, which includes long and short-term memory, learning, stress management, and even sleep. Vital Brain comes in a delicious lemon-lime flavor that easily mixes into water or your morning smoothie, and it does not impact your bowels like other forms of magnesium can. It gets into your brain where it's needed. Less pills, improved absorption. Magtine has been shown in studies to raise brain levels of magnesium, which impacts brain synapses directly. Unlike other brain products on the market that work via brain stimulation, often overstimulation, magtine works via a completely different mechanism. When brain magnesium levels are not optimal, synapse function deteriorates. By delivering magnesium into the synapses, vital brain helps brain cells stay healthy without being overactivated. Consequently, brain cells respond to signals with clarity and robustness. While I can't make specific health claims, tell you how to dose, or make individual health recommendations, I can tell you how these supplements work. As always, check with your health provider before beginning any supplement regimen. Listeners of The Dr. Tina Show can enjoy 10% off Vital Brain by using the code VITALBRAIN10 in all capital letters over inside my store at store.drtina.com. I use this product every morning and it significantly improves my productivity throughout the day. Again, head to store.drtina.com and use code VITALBRAIN10, all capital letters, for 10% off. Let me back up a second. So we know the virus itself kind of wreaks havoc on interferon, right? Like from what I understand, the virus itself has uh, impacts on interferon and having it not function so well. And that's one of the ways it sneaks in. That's what I, I mean, that, I don't know if I'm right on that, but that's what I've been understanding is that it, it sort of sabotages and, and sneaks in the gate that way. So these vaccines are doing this on a, a bigger scale. What's the, do we know so, the mechanism? Well, yeah. So on that point, the interferon is actually quite protective of infection. And what they have shown is that people who have lower interferon generally suffer worse disease. So the lower the, the, which is, you know, people who are, who have comorbidities generally are people who are more immune suppressed and so lower interferon and thus worse disease. Um, So the, um, I mean, I think, I'm not, I'm not sure that it takes that the virus is is sneaking around interferon um i think that infection can happen even in the presence of adequate interferon but interferon is needed then to control that infection and if you don't have the interferon then the infection you know kind of has free reign um but interferon yeah so interferon is what helps the cell process the, you know, virus comes in and the cell breaks it up into pieces and the MHC, you know, the MHC1 and 2, they stick that flag on the cell surface. All that process is interferon. It's needed for the cell to present that viral particle to teach the immune system what it is. Um, and so if 
we don't have adequate interferon, the cells don't have a way of even training the immune system of what kind of virus they need to be going after. So what do we know the mechanism of, is it the spike proteins? What is it about the vaccines that are causing this whole system to not function correctly? Yeah, well, spike protein is is the toxic aspect of the infection of the virus. And so the other proteins, like when you have the whole virus with a spike, you initiate a, that initiates this, the infection symptoms. Like, you know, people are sick, they get fevers and they get da da da. Spike protein is like taking away the infection symptoms and just giving somebody the toxic piece, mm. the toxicity, not the infection, but the toxicity. And which is why you don't typically cause COVID when you give somebody an injection. You make them sick, but they don't typically look like a COVID patient. Mm-hmm. Um the spike protein itself, it's really critical that people understand that we are not injecting the mRNA that codes for the spike protein that's present in the virus. This stuff that we're injecting is highly, highly genetically modified. It looks nothing like the actual spike protein. I mean, given the fact that it's based on the original virus, which doesn't exist anymore, even if that weren't the case, this stuff that they're injecting has been extensively modified in very scary ways. They modified it specifically to make it live as long as possible, meaning stay as long as possible in the body before it gets degraded. And they've essentially, they put a brick on the accelerator to be sure that it cranks out the largest amount of protein possible, of spike proteins possible, which is great if that's your only goal. But if your goal is to keep cells somehow in balance, it's a nightmare because the way that cells, so the accelerator that had the brick put on it, that is a very, very sensitive accelerator. I mean, it is, and by by that, what we're talking about is called a cap. It's a cap on the end of the RNA. So the cap on the RNA is, it contains really important information about how that RNA should be expressed. Should it, should it get turned on and make proteins or do we want to keep it quiet? And that's all contained in the cap. And when a cell is under stress, the cap modifies in very delicate ways to make sure that the cell stays in homeostasis through the time of stress. Well, brilliantly, they have modified the cap in a way that it cannot turn off. It, do, it, it prevents, the cap prevents that RNA from ever shutting down because they wanna just make a bunch of protein. But that's a really bad thing if all your your if all your RNA can do is to just keep spitting out its product is kind of a nightmare for the cell because that means it can't adjust itself mm-hmm. to changing environments. 
So the cap modification um, is one of the nightmares that is in place around these. Um, then another modification they made is that they did something called uh, GC enrichment. And this is this will get this gets a little boring, but they um, you can add certain sequences to the code that ultimately allow the RNA to avoid detection by the cell's immune system. Normally, if you inject RNA, it is recognized. That is a danger signal for a cell and cells have all kinds of enzymes and methods for getting it destroyed very quickly. So they had to modify this thing in multiple ways to prevent that from happening. So one was through the cap and another was through GC enrichment. And GC enrichment is another way that it, when you enrich the sequence with these GC uh, uh, codes, then the cell recognizes it as just normal human RNA and not as viral mm. RNA. So it doesn't attack it. But the problem though, is that when you enrich the GC content, so RNAs form structures. They, they form these looping structures called quadruplexes or G4, G quadruplex, they're called G4s. So G4s are this entire secondary kind of a, a communication system within the cell that are independent of the actual, what the RNA is coding for. The quadruplex becomes another regulatory system within the cell. So all of our cells naturally have these quadruplexes around and the quadruplexes require some resources within the cell to attend to them and to make sure that the quadruplexes do what they're supposed to do in cell regulation. Okay, there's that. It's a very sophisticated system happening in cells normally all the time. This mRNA, because it has been heavily GC enriched, is going to create many more quadruplexes, which those are going to come into the cell. So the quadruplex system is yet another way that oncogenes, the cancer-causing genes when they turn on, the G4 system is one way that those stay regulated. We're injecting something that brings more G4s into the cell. All of the support players that are needed for the G4 structures to regulate in the way that they need to are going to get called over to these decoy, essentially, these other quadruplexes that are coming into the cell, which means that the ones that are actually needed to be controlling things like oncogenes are going to be uh, left unregulated. And in fact, as we show in the paper, there are studies that show what happens if you do these kinds of things.
And so it is yet another system that is getting subverted by injecting these GC-enriched mRNAs and the consequent formation of, of these G4s. So it, it's just like it goes on and on in the way that they are screwing up this cancer surveillance that needs to be happening within the cells. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's, I'm getting anxiety just listening to this, just <laughs> seeing it in my head going, oh, no. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So what else? What are some other concerns that we have here with these, with these vaccinations? Well, I think um, so, you know, something we talked about in the paper um, has to do with the dysregulation of sulfatide production. And so sulfatide Sulfatides are the only sulfated lipids in the body, and they're, they are um, heavily utilized in the formation of the myelin sheath. And, and demyelinating diseases are known to be, there's an erosion of the sulfatide. There's not enough sulfatide in the sheath, and that's kind of an underlying pathology. Well, it so happens that with the injection, they know now that the highest concentration is found in the muscle, right where it's injected. The second high highest concentrations are in the spleen and the liver. The liver is where sulfatides are made. And sulfatides are made, again, it's one of these domino things that you need the um, IRF9, the interferon regulatory factor 9, that needs to then knock over into PPAR alpha. PPAR alpha then initiates sulfatide formation. And we know that these mRNAs suppress IRF9. And so if we suppress IRF9 and we don't do, you know, then the cascade doesn't happen and we end up with reduced amount of sulfatide, well then crap, then we have potentially a myelin issue oh, that God. shows up as well. So, um, and that's one way. I mean, there are other, you know, there's, you can also end up with autoimmune issues mm -hmm. that erode myelin sheath as well. And, and in fact, one of the, in our first paper, one of the things that we went into quite a bit was the potential for molecular mimicry, because it was known back then that the spike protein has structural homology with like 26 different endogenous human proteins. And that includes TPO, it includes um, uh, tissue transglutaminase, includes myelin basic protein mm -hmm. um, and collagen. So it has homology with all of those. And in fact, if you get into the literature now, there are auto cases of autoimmune disease following vaccination and following infection of mm -hmm. all of these kinds of diseases are showing up. So not only do we have the potential to be provoking the sulfatide depletion, but through molecular mimicry, potentially also autoimmune attack on myelin basic protein, which kind of a double whammy there. Um, another 
I'm not. I'm really not a fun guy to invite to parties. Um, <laughs> I was another... going to say. I wonder if we get a few cocktails in you. It, it's really. We're going to get like the. You're you're giving us the gentle version right now. Yeah, right. I know. Yeah. <laughs> this uh, is the this is the carefully selected words and kind version. Right. To me, uh-huh. I'm reading this going. This is a shit show. But yeah, it is that. It totally is that. Um, so one of the things that we talked about a lot more in the first paper, and I, I, there is a bit about it in this paper as well, has to do with um, the fact that the spike protein is a prion protein. Yeah. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So, so a prion protein, and there is a human prion protein that we all have in us, and it has function. And nobody knows exactly what that is, but clearly we're not doing it by accident. It's, it's there for a reason, but it just so happens that it can misfold. And when it misfolds, it causes problems. So it has been identified that the, the tendency for that protein to misfold is based on a certain, what's called a motif, which is a repeating uh, amino acid sequences in the protein. And the motif is a G XXXG. So that means glycine and then any three others and then another glycine. So GXXXG is kind of the prion motif. And so, for instance, mad cow disease, that's the prion disease that we most know about. That protein has, I think, either 12 or 13 of those motifs built into it. I mean, it's just itching to get itself misfolded. The um, tau protein that's associated with Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. considered a prion protein, it has four of those motifs. So it has a good tendency to misfold. Spike protein, five of those motifs. So it is, um, it has a decent tendency based on the presence of those, to get itself misfolded. What are the circumstances that cause proteins to misfold? Well, oxidative stress. So how did we package up this RNA? Well, we put it in a cationic lipid, which is itself an adjuvant, which is to say it is a stressor to the cells. So the way they built this the lipid nanoparticle is essentially to make it look like an LDL particle so that it, and through the positive charge, the cell surfaces have a negative charge. And so once you bring in the positive charge, it will be drawn by charge to the negative cell surface as a way to get it over there. And then it's got cholesterol and phospholipids in its membrane, in addition to this highly modified PEG. Um, so we then introduce this cationic lipid, completely unnatural and a freak out for a cell because we don't even have enzymes to break down cationic lipids. Um, so as we deliver a prion protein, we're delivering the stress that makes prion proteins prions. Misfold. Yeah. I mean, it's like, holy crap. It's as though they planned it this way. What are the implications of prions 
in in the body? What I mean, you mentioned mad cow disease for the audience, just kind of the quick and dirty. What's the I know you can't speculate, but what's the concern there? Well, I mean, I feel like the I mean, I feel like the Grim Reaper when I'm talking about this stuff, especially among an audience that where it could be many have been vaccinated. I have no idea. Um, And so, you know, in in saying before I say with all of these things, what I believe to be true is that these potential consequences can be mitigated that it's not it's not like um there's no finality to oh crap i got vaccinated and so this is what i'm this is my doom i don't believe that i think that there absolutely are important ways that we can mitigate the potential damages that would come with these vaccinations so with that said prion related disease is essentially dementia that's what we're looking at um now uh so in humans it's creutzfeldt jacob disease cjd and that is typically a process that unfolds over the course of 20 years or so it's a very slow process it is somewhat disturbing that when you look in vares there are now i believe 13 cases of CJD that have been reported following vaccination and that that have now, and that is, that is almost three times more than all reports of CJD in the prior, um, prior 31 years for all other vaccinations. So it's a huge increase in the amount of those reports to VAERS. And I know it's back and forth about whether or not VAERS is reliable. It is. That's not even, it's a ridiculous discussion to even enter into. It's not, of course, it doesn't establish causation, but it can very strongly point to causation. Um, And of course, you only establish causation if you follow it up and try to trace out the causal pathways, which they're not doing. It's very intentional that they're not doing that. but to say that VAERS data is irrelevant is and because there are many who make that case. Yes. Well, anybody can make a VAERS entry. But it, the fact is, it's almost all done by healthcare professionals. Yes. Yes. Um, Every entry I've heard of has been my colleagues, our colleagues, yeah. uh, telling me how hard it is to do. It's time consuming. It's, it's difficult. Right. And, and these people are overworked already. And mm-hmm. and it's gotta, a federal offense if you're lying. So, it's, uh, no. you know, so yeah. this isn't something that, you know, doctors don't just go around making things right. up because it's fun. Like we actually like our licenses. We worked hard for right. them. And I mean, we did, you know, coming back to the paper too, with our we have a table at the end where we just lay out the number of reports of various kinds of cancer in the VAERS database compared to the prior 31 years for all other vaccinations. And some of them, like there are 13 times more follicular lymphoma reports around these COVID vaccinations versus all other vaccinations. Wow. Breast, breast cancer reports are six times more. Um, prostate cancer, five times more. They're, I mean, just in the two in in the one year of COVID vaccinations, there are 
on average of all the cancers we looked at, there are two times more cancer reports in this one year of vaccinations than in the prior 31 years of all vaccinations. Wow. I'm hearing, I'm hearing from a colleague who I shall not name, but who also does, who's an naturopathic doctor who does oncology care. And, um, he was saying that his cancer patients who he, you know, they had worked and worked and, and done uh, mitigating therapies to get them into remission. And since being vaccinated, he's seeing a lot of cases come back and just seeing oh, a, a, a big, yeah. are you seeing that in your practice Absolutely. as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is the end of part one of my two-part series with Dr. Greg Nye. Part two is up now. Thanks for listening. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practices of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and the materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content on this podcast is intended not to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have, and they should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.